What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. And we have a real treat for you today. We are sitting down with Jeremy Holcomb, who is the host of Creating Emotional Intelligence podcast. Um, th- I, this is one of those guys who, like, uh, he doesn't have a website. You can barely find the guy on social media. And then he has this podcast that's like you know i mean it looks like a decent podcast he's been around for a couple of years um but he's actually ranked in the top two percent of the world for it uh he crossed a hundred thousand downloads i think earlier in spring 2021 and um he's just crushing it really making a difference um his his podcast is amazing you should go check it out and he he really focuses on a couple things he talks about triggers um, he talks about learning to kind of listen to your body in a triggered moment, creating self-awareness, and of course, how all that plays into having an emotionally healthy life. And uh, when Jeremy and I got connected, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not super like swayed, I guess, by people's numbers or that kind of thing. Um, but what I'm really looking for is, of course, like, do they have a message and do they have values that are going to uh, help you guys that are going to support you and really bring um, something of, of worth to our audience? And, and one of the other things that I look for is to see, like, are these people um, going through a phase? Are they like, are they just passionate about the subject right now? Or do they really embody it? Like, is, is this clearly something that, that they're living out in their life, um, that they're making sacrifices for? And uh, Jeremy just ticked both of those boxes for me. So um, so for me, it was a no-brainer. And uh, we did have a really good interview. You're going to see exactly what I mean by his embodying of the message. Uh, very simple, very down-to-earth, um, but some really useful stuff. And um, I would say if you're struggling with um, managing your emotions, like you just notice that you sometimes have disproportionate reactions to things in life. Um, If you notice yourself getting triggered, if people ask you like, um, how are you feeling? What were you thinking about? Uh, More like reflective and contemplative questions. And you're kind of like, I actually don't know. I'm not just avoiding it. I legitimately don't know. This podcast is going to bring tons of clarity. Um, and, you know, if you're just looking to kind of improve in your overall emotional well-being, uh, it's going to be really valuable for you as well. So I'm going to cue that intro and let's get into my interview with Jeremy Holcomb. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Okay, well, hey, Jeremy, we finally get to have you on the podcast, man. Um, It's a real privilege to be here with you. Uh, You have this incredible podcast, Creating Emotional Intelligence, and I'm super excited to dive in, man. So thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um. I know just because of the line of work I'm in, nobody creates a podcast about creating emotional intelligence or helping guys with porn addiction without usually their own experience. Generally, it's not strictly education or training. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if we can start there a little bit and um, if you can tell us just some of the backstory that's piqued your interest in the whole subject of emotional intelligence. Yeah, you know, two things really quick. You've, you have probably heard this, your mess is your message. It's a really yeah. popular thing saying these days. But also, uh, I think you probably do this as well, but you know, if you go to business school, how many teachers there are actually teaching on business, but have never run a business. Yeah. And there's like that lack of experience and wisdom and authority versus someone who's actually been through it. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm probably, I'm 31. So definitely 12, 13 years in of just like each unpeeling, not I don't want to get caught up too much in that, but just peeling back layers of growth and whether it's a pain or unprocessed need or sorry, unprocessed pain and unmet needs. And, um, it started when I was a little kid. I actually, uh, my dad was big on like generosity, financial generosity and tithing. And so he wanted me to tithe and I was like, all right, well, I'll tithe to this like family ministry or whatever. And, uh, so what they did is they just send books to the people who tithe to them. So I got all these books from when I was like 10 years old. And from like 10, I would start reading all these books about family structure and uh, boundaries and all this stuff. And um, so from a young age, it's been like just kind of something I've always been interested in. And um, 
And it wasn't until probably honestly, until I was 19 or 20 and I realized just how shut down and disassociated and how much of a mess I truly was. Hmm. Wow. Okay. That's cool. So you had like an early exposure to the, some of the concepts, which I would say were not even mainstream back in those days, right? Like emotional no. intelligence. I mean, Daniel Goldman maybe had that out for uh, a little while at that point, but not too long. It definitely wasn't the kind of fad it is today. Yeah, that's true. I remember when it came out and I like read it and I was like, why is this such a popular book? Because obviously I was so young, I didn't necessarily understand the need for boundaries, but I was like, oh, this is a cool book. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny how it works. So, okay, I wonder if we can just start at like um, the super basic level. How mm -hmm. do you define emotional intelligence? Yeah, that's actually a, such a great question because, man, if you Google emotional intelligence, you look it up, you're going to see a million different things, whether Seriously. it's you wanting to take like, uh, one of this, one of hundreds of, you know, personality tests, Enneagram, DISC, uh, <laughs> Strength Finders, Myers-Briggs, all of these different tests. And those, those are great because it creates some sort of self-awareness about yourself. And maybe that's a, a branch of emotional intelligence hmm. is self-awareness. And, yeah. uh, but then you could say another branch is like, you know, being in process with your own story and being aware of your story, which is kind of like self-awareness as well. And so I would say it's, there's all the different dynamics at play. There's like your business dynamics, the professional dynamics, there's your family dynamics. Uh, I have a three-year-old little girl named Magnolia. And uh, wow, amazing what name, is emotion? By the way. Yeah, thanks, Magnolia Joe. she's a cutie. Um, what does emotional intelligence look like when I'm interacting with a three-year-old? And mm -hmm. You can unpeel this so much layer by layer by layer. But I mean, what, what about you? How, how would you define emotional intelligence? Yeah, it's so interesting because I, I think one of the things that's really been overlooked in the whole field of, I guess, emotional intelligence and the use of this concept is the impact that has on self. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think you can really actually be attuned to others people, other people's emotions and their internal realm unless you're first aware of your own. Yeah, so I know for me, agreed. that's usually where I start when I talk about the subject is like, you have to actually build that awareness of your inner life and your emotions. And the better you understand them, the more likely you're going to be perceptive to other people. So that's always where I start. But it is hard to actually just say, this is emotional intelligence, because emotions in general are so yeah. abstract and, you know, kind of ethereal a little bit. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Well, I'll be honest, though, I have never once read the book Emotional Intelligence. Yeah, me neither. By Daniel Goldman, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me neither. <laughs> People always bring that up. Oh, you have a podcast on creating emotional intelligence? You should read this book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, okay, um, you had meant, you used a really interesting term, which I think as we go on in time, it's my personal conviction that people are going to start identifying with this term a lot more. You said um, when you were in your 20s, you didn't even realize how dissociated you were. Mm -hmm. what, what does that mean? And um, what did it look like for you to be dissociated? Yeah. Oh, there's so many different levels to this. And I know like as we're having a conversation on what might be, you know, emotional intelligence, like you can go so deep, all these rabbit holes and try, I'll do my best to stick to like keeping it simple and sure. uh, not going overly deep or anything like that. But um, it all, it all starts in your childhood, you know, is is little Tim, little Jeremy, um, did they feel truly accepted or seen or heard or known? Did they feel like, or were they shown that they were too much? Hmm. And so if you're in a place with through whatever trauma is going on, whether it's neglect, physical abuse, verbal abuse, um, all the, whatever might be going on, because oftentimes we think this one event happens and at that event, that's when I just totally fell apart. And it actually is usually things over and over and over and over and over. So if you're constantly in your house showing up, say you grow up in a family that's like emotionally neglectful, then you're realizing that this whole entire side of you, especially as a man, is yeah. it's not good. It gets taught to turn, like, turn it off, shut it down. You're too much. Like, don't show up in this way. Um, you're going to like shut that part of you down because what it is, is that part of you, it's not safe to show mm -hmm. up. And maybe there's fight or flight. So maybe you shut down or maybe you become really enraged and you fight it and you run away, like whatever you want to do. Um, but ultimately like you don't feel permission to fully be who you are. So what happens is you like 
break almost like it's almost like breaking off pieces of who you are and it's amazing your brain is phenomenal like when i realized that my brain did this as a gift to me because of what i was going through as a kid the amount of trauma on a regular basis i'm like so grateful that i'm like wow like my body had a way to protect itself yeah. in a really incredible way from me hurting myself or damaging myself or experiencing even more trauma because ultimately it's your nervous system stepping in and being able to protect you in super incredible ways. That's really cool. Thank you for that perspective because I think, um, I mean, thank God, like as a society, we're starting to realize like, oh wow, who knew childhood actually is really formative to yeah. a person's well-functioning and mm -hmm. you know their overall sense of health and self and everything else. But I think the danger is that we actually lose our value for the mechanisms within us that allowed us to cope and to survive and Definitely. unless you have a value for them, you actually, you don't actually heal. You just become really remorseful and regretful. And, oh, if mm -hmm. only X, Y, Z would have happened or wouldn't have happened, my life would be different. Um, but you're right. Like our ability to sort of um, compartmentalize and I, I suppose like cre create those dissociations, there's actually a very protective motive underneath it. Now, not to say it's, right. it's the, the best way to do it, certainly, but um, you're right. There is a protective component. Just out of curiosity, is that dynamic similar in men and women? Does it vary at all? And part of the reason I'm asking is because my wife and I have been having all these conversations lately about how guys compartmentalize. We have all the boxes in our brain and, you know, girls have a oh, bit more yeah. of like everything's connected. It's the ball of yarn <laughs> or the yeah. wires or whatever. So I guess I'm just curious, is dissociation uh, a more natural symptom of a guy because we can compartmentalize or is it more just kind of a human thing? I think that's a human thing. I think it's a gift that goes back and forth. Um, I can't say like, I know for sure, hundred percent, you know, I am just to be clear, I'm not a mental health professional, just so yeah. that's abundantly clear. So I, when I'm speaking, this is from experience of working with client after client and tons of reading and going through my own story. Yeah. I'm just realizing like, wow, I work with men and women who are both equally, they've disassociate, disassociated as a way of protecting themselves. And it's like, but I think the bigger question is, is how does someone respond to trauma? And everyone responds in different ways. Yeah. Okay. So that was actually my next question. Before we kind of talk about the more solution side of things, because obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're you're offering some incredible coaching services to your clients, and um, you have some really cool insights, especially about triggers, which I want to get into because I know my audience uh, wants to hear about it. But um, you've referenced trauma and experiencing it in your earlier years of life. What exactly did you experience? Yeah. Huh. How do I put words to that? So for me. You know, at a young age, my parents split. There was, okay, you let's back up even further. Like my grandparents, who are the people that raised my parents? Mm -hmm. There is a child of war who was rescued from um, Munich when the bombs were being dropped on the city, who both her, one of her parents died at a young age. Um, her father gave her up. Um, the dad was, um, so my mom's dad comes from a family of, alcohol abuse really bad substance abuse all of that wow. my dad's family was extreme poverty um sexual abuse uh substance abuse uh, and so lots of other things you know to protect those people i'm not gonna, i won't say but really intense severe things and so you have to think mm -hmm. so the people that raised me are growing up in that environment and so what are the beliefs of those people because ultimately no matter how amazing of a parent you are, you ultimately, as a kid, inherit your parents' belief systems. You may not live out, you may not live it out in the same way, but if your parent doesn't believe deep down inside that they're truly, fully loved and accepted for who they are, it's going to be really hard for them to model that belief to you. And it's mm -hmm. through the day-to-day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day life and how they're doing things and interacting with you and how they respond to the the refrigerator being out of groceries and then checking their bank account and how do they respond to the money to have to go to the grocery store. And hmm. as kids, they see through all the crap, they yeah. know what's really going on. Yeah. And so like with my daughter, Magnolia, if I have these belief systems where I'm not truly, I, I don't think I'm truly seen or heard or loved or accepted or played with whatever, whatever it might be, she's going to see through the behavior and she's going to inherit the belief. Now hmm. she may, at a younger age, work through it. Like, I believe my, I do really truly believe that my ceiling is her floor and she's going to, I'm working through all these stuff, all of these things. So she's not going to have to deal with any of this. Um, but 
there's still going to be things that no matter how much I try to maybe overcome or over overcorrect or do something, it's just like, she's going to inherit belief systems. And I mean, like, I think your audience is like, uh, mainly a face driven audience, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So even like, it's so crazy. It always stuck out to me, like in the old Testament, was it like Abraham and Isaac, or I don't remember which ones like they get to the well, they lie to the King about their, uh, their wife saying it's their sister. They lie about the well. And it's like, the father does it. The son does it. The grandson does it. Yeah. And it's like, it's interesting how we just like inherit these beliefs through these generations. Really? It's really fascinating. I love the emphasis on beliefs though, because I think it'd be easy to say we inherit the behaviors. But what you're kind of insinuating is that actually we inherit more of a paradigm that is not so much taught as much as it's caught. And then mm-hmm. that leads to sort of those same kind of behaviors. So, okay, so we're getting a picture here. So, um, so obviously your grandparents sound like they went through a lot. Of course, that inevitably will impact the way they raised your parents, which will inevitably impact the way you were raised. Mm-hmm. In your 20s, you start to kind of discover like you have this interest, prior interest in emotional intelligence and mental health boundaries, all that stuff. And now you're realizing like, oh, okay, I actually, I, I might be knowledgeable, but I don't have all this together. What does the healing journey look like? Where, where does it commence? And um, one of the, the phrases that you use that I love is like really becoming aware of your triggered self. Um, I'm wondering where that factored into your healing process as well, because I really do want to go there with the story. Yeah, great question. Uh, you're really great at interviewing. Just to say, oh, like, thanks, way to man. go, man. <laughs> thanks. Um, I'm just, it's just fun to talk and I'm really enjoying it. I would say that, man, what a great question. So one thing I'll say is one day someone came up to me and they said, hey, I'll pay you money if you listen to me. And I was like, okay, sure. And then I realized <laughs> like, oh, I'm actually like good at helping people. And then that together with like, um, I learned a style of journaling where it's just like taking the time to like write out what I'm feeling and what I, I used, if you asked me if I had feelings growing up, I would have said, no, I'm good. Like if I had needs, no, I don't have needs. Who has needs? Needs aren't a thing. They don't exist. (laughs) And I, I was, I felt like the best way I can describe it is like, like a, uh, a brick and you just like tap, tap the brick and there's like nothing. It's just like a dead sound. And so Mm -hmm. unaware of my emotions, unaware of any physical sensations, just totally shut down, not aware. And so through like, even just journaling about my day or writing down some feelings, or even actually one time, one of my friends, uh, I think it was 19 or 20. He was like, I just want to feel like I want to get to know you, but I feel like we were like holding, withholding from me. And I'm like, I remember saying so clearly, and I remember the memory and, uh, we were in our bunk beds. It was an old jail in Norway and like built in the 1700s or 1500s or something um turned into a youth hostel oh okay and, i was like uh, wait you were in jail in norway we, we might have to take a tangent here yeah. i want to hear that story okay got it got it <laughs> yeah i should add that detail i like to tell people <laughs> i met my wife Haley in a jail in norway but it was like this old jail from youth hostel that's amazing. so um he says to me i want to get to know you but i just like you're like holding out and i'm like you know everything about me and uh, all like everything about me but he was right like I was so uh, checked out and unavailable. And I thought I was truly showing up to life. And in that moment, I didn't realize like the impact that that one moment had on me. Like, mm. cause it comes up all the time. Like, I really want to get to know you. And I'm like, Oh, actually I still want to get to know myself. And so through like journaling and writing and like taking the time to like slow down and be with myself, I started to actually like, Oh, wow, that stuff does affect me. Oh, actually like, I don't like when that happens. And um started getting exposed to a lot of things about learning about triggers and so it's actually from a lot of like laura duncan's material i don't know if you know who that is it's called the compassion method yeah yeah familiar with it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's that was a huge thing for me because uh that was it's like learning your triggered self and that's actually what i walk all my clients through is what is your triggered self all the symptoms and all those things and so that's when like about in my 20s, I realized like, oh, wow, I was meeting with a counselor, realizing I'm disassociated, I'm checked out. And I remember almost like stepping out of my body, like almost like an out of body, out of body experience of like, wow, I just got so hardcore triggered in that moment that I just like totally left the room. And then seeing it in that moment, I realized like, wow, I have a lot of pain in my life I need to own up to. So I say that so like nonchalantly, but it was a pretty like life changing moment. 
It sounds like it. It really does. Okay, so I wonder if we can get granular because I think your story is very common and not to invalidate it by Definitely. any means, but no, to say I think you're right. But to say that like this is the story of a lot of guys, both like macho guys, um, guys with softer personalities and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the way we just get taught like well, maybe we get taught or we just learn like, yeah, I'm okay, I have nothing to complain about. Oh, you wanna know how I'm That's doing? Great. Here are all the things I did today. Um, here's mm -hmm. the projects I'm working on. But there's there's no heart. There's no sense of like the presence of a, a person that's actually integrated with that experience. So you're in the office now of, of a therapist. You're getting some help. And you, you said that you get in touch with like or you felt triggered to the point that you would rather. Is that why you kind of dissociated because you didn't actually want to really feel what was going on? Is that what you mean? Yeah, they were asking some questions. And uh, I don't even remember the questions or what we were going into or anything like that. But okay. I just remember like, it hitting a pain point by the question uh, that she asked, where I just totally like, boom, gone, just like, and almost like stepping outside of myself and like looking at the conversation happening. I'm like, what I am like, not wanting to be in this place. It was just like, just kind of like a bizarre experience of just like, wow, I really have some stuff I need to work through. <laughs> that's that, Yeah, yeah. And I think that's helpful to hear because, um, you know, you might hear like your triggered self. And of course, a lot of what we talk about here is gain for your porn addiction. So the, mm -hmm. the triggered self is when you see the, the girl on Instagram who's showing a bit too much skin, or you think about, you know, you replay that that person you interacted with earlier in the day or whatever it might be. But I, I like what you're presenting here because um, that is such a narrow scope of what a trigger really is. Um, a trigger could be just about anything. It's really more about mm -hmm. what impacts. It's more about your response. So, yeah, definitely. So you're feeling the dissociation because I guess that's the only way you can cope. Um, I'm wondering, mm -hmm. like, did you go home and you're like, oh, wow, I have all this stuff to work through. I'm going to keep going to therapy. Or were you like freaked out by what happened? Like, what did it look like? How did you respond after that? Yeah, I mean, so... I wish I could say you tell you is this really beautiful, like pristine journey that was super straightforward. And I knew exactly what turns to take and how to do it. And life was super great, but man, it was messy huh. and life got hard because I actually started showing up to the pain in my life. Yeah. And whether it's disappointment or hurt or deep rooted questions about my value or am I truly accepted or am I truly heard or did I get these gifts in life or did I just feel like a burden or did I just, you know, did I just completely shut down because I didn't feel like my life was worth it? And those wow. were really real questions I had to show up and face. And wow. man, it's painful. It really is. What was the most painful thing that you had to confront? The most painful thing I had to confront was probably, um, what was the, why did my parents have me? That was probably the most painful thing wow. I had to, I had to face. Like, why am I here? And why did you guys have me? Because um, my parents checked out hmm. and they, they, they're great. And I have a phenomenal relationship with them now and I love them. And um, we can talk about these things and it's getting more and more where we can talk about these things. And they did phenomenal for the hands that they, for that, uh, for the hand that they were dealt, they killed it and they really yeah. cared and tried their best. And I can say that with a whole heart. Um, but when you're growing up, yourself in a place of pain and mess and maybe you don't know how disassociated you are you have no idea the the pain you're inflicting on others if you're so unaware of the pain you're in causing yourself and that you're even in wow okay that's really well said so um okay so identifying some pain working through um why did your parents have you so i guess i'm curious did that involve conversations with your parents like kind of exploring that question mm -hmm. or was this more on your side of it just kind of processing your existence yeah that was more there's man there's so many routes i could go so i would say that it was showing up to those physical sensations so this is the triggered self you have your physical your mental and your emotional symptoms yeah so if you break it down you can look at what's going on in your body are you do your shoulders start to tighten? Do your arms get itchy? Do your, does your mouth dry up? Do you get shortened breath? Like what's happening? Um, your emotional triggers, like you feel really angry and rage is starting to come up or you're like uh, shutting down or you're feeling really anxious or um, whatever your emotional response is. Um, 
there's so many, everyone experiences different things. And then your mental dialogue. Yeah. And so the mental dialogue could be, is this ever going to end? You know, am I always going to be here? Like this always happens. I guess I'm going to have to just take all the responsibility and fix this myself. Like whatever, yeah. all sorts of mental things can go through our head. And so a thing happens, we get triggered. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we could easily blame someone for the triggers. Yes. Easily. Like, oh, you trigger me. You're, it's your fault <laughs> that I'm triggered. When it's like, actually, no, we need to own and take ownership of what's going on in our internal world. Yeah. So re recognizing those triggers. And so in that moment, it was like, it was a really deep thing to process. And it's been like an ongoing dialogue with myself of like, Jeremy, like, okay, like the other day, uh, I'll share an example from my life, you know, because I, anything I'm teaching, I'm like doing it myself. Like, I'm not going to just yes. speak out of my ass, you know? No, I um, love that about your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You do that well. And so the other day it was like, uh, um, Noli Magnolia, uh, I was like standing outside the car watching and I had, she wanted to hang out inside the car and I was like, okay, sure. And so I was staying outside the car while she was playing inside. It's parked next to a busy road. And somehow the car was locked and everything. She opened the door and uh, she opened it on the sidewalk side. But I had like, I had to help someone for just a second. But I got so scared in that moment. So I'm like, she could have easily opened the other side to this busy highway and just stepped out of the car. And I don't know how like she even opened it because it's supposed to have the child lock system. And I was standing like right there. Um, but anyways, I got all these emotions start coming up. I'm like, you are a bad, like you suck as a dad. You fail as a dad. Like I was embarrassed. I was like, I'm like neglecting my child. Like all these, you know, you could call them lies come up or accusations, whatever you want to say. My inner dialogue sucks. And I'm like, I feel my shoulders like tensing up and, uh, and then I'm able to slow down, you know, after like I'm calmed down, my nervous system is calmed down because, you know, true healing is going to come when you're in a place where you're thinking clearly and you're okay. And your nervous yes. system is regulated. If you try to like get into healing while you're right, your nervous system is just all over the place. It's just going to be a mess. Yes. Um, so I've calmed down. I have clear thinking. I'm like, you know what? I actually just felt really scared. And in that moment, I just needed, uh, I didn't grow up in a situation where I felt protected and I needed that gift of protection. And that just made me really feel not protected. And so it's yeah. like getting really clear about the needs and the unprocessed pain. And so even with the whole question of, um, the, with my parents and like, why did you truly have me? It's like, I just really needed to know that I was accepted. Hmm. Yeah. And the tender emotion behind all of that is just a real deep sadness of like, oh man, this is really painful. This is really hard. And uh, there's some, and I have to feel that pain. And so I'll, I'll imagine little Jeremy and on our refrigerator over here, um, we have pictures of each of us as little kids. So me and Haley and obviously Magnolia's three. So her picture's up there and <laughs> Magnolia, I don't know if she does it every night, but mul like multiple times a week, she'll go over and she'll give each of the pictures a kiss. Oh. Um, and we'll like look at the pictures of little us and talk about what we love about them. And, wow. um, but little Jeremy needs to know that he's loved and that he's accepted. And what was he actually feeling in that moment when he was feeling really sad and alone mm -hmm. and he didn't feel like his life was worth it and being willing to sit with those super uncomfortable feelings, but knowing adult me is totally okay. And I can actually sit with that little Jeremy and be okay with him. That was a super That's long answer. No, no, it's really well said and, and I think really, really helpful. So one of the things you're hitting on, which is really neat, is the physical signs of, that you're triggered. And mm -hmm. I think um, the the interesting thing about guys is like, so we kind of talked about the dynamic that exists where like, okay, guys maybe don't get taught or they don't have the natural ability the same way to get in touch with their inner life. Um, but the one thing that guys, I guess, have permission to do is to be physical. Like we know that boys yeah. like to play fight and boys play sports and you know again whether you were actually athletic or not it's not really the point but i think there's always permission to be at least in touch physically there, there's something about the physicality mm -hmm. of being a man that is more permissible so i guess i'm wondering if maybe you can just walk us through like what would be the whole gamut um off the top of your head of like signs that you might be triggered that happen specifically in your physical body because i'm just thinking about people who are listening who are saying like I, that's me. I'm the brick. Like I can't get in touch with the inner life. I'm sure it's there, you know, but I'm really just not aware of it. Um, but yeah. I guess I'm, th I'm realizing that 
the physical triggers could actually be kind of the the half step or the launching pad where it's like, well, yeah, maybe we'll start that's there. Really maybe that's the better indicator that you're triggered. And then from there, you can go into the emotional part. So what what are some examples? And I guess I'm wondering if you can give as many as possible, excuse me, of what physical triggers might look like in those kinds of moments. Yeah, well, really quick too. interesting fact, I was just reading to you about the woman's brain. And I think uh, so physically, the men's brain is larger but in women's brain physically is smaller, but it's actually the same amount of like, it comes out the density is the same. And so there's a part where women's mm -hmm. brain actually has 14% more capacity to, to process emotions and emotional memories than men do. Wow. It's really interesting. That's fascinating. Um, Makes a lot of sense yeah. though. <laughs> um, but so we, we've talked about triggers. You just asked this super amazing question. I actually really love it. And it's really great. That even says a lot about you to ask that question. It's a lot of insight. It's pretty amazing. And so oh, thanks. what you could jump ahead for a second, like what happens after you're triggered? So a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast is because maybe they do have porn in their life or they have some sort of addiction. Yeah. So there's a point in their day where they're like, you know, whether it's looking at porn, masturbating, drinking, checking out, dreaming about the future, not being in today, whatever it is, like you are not being present. Hmm. Like before you looked at porn, before you masturbated, before you just checked out, were on your phone, social media, whatever it might be, something happened. Like something caused that trigger. Because the trigger, when you break it down, it's my friend Blair that defines it super amazingly. And he says, uh, trigger is a a disproportionate emotional response to a singular event. I love that. And so wow. helpful. maybe something happened in your day that's causing you to want to look at porn. So that's when I've worked through my clients with my clients who are men and like, really we've slowed down and be like, all right, what's actually go through your day because you looked at porn, but what were you feeling right before you looked at porn? Hmm. Like what were the emotions that were going on? And that's actually really hard sometimes. Okay. So what was going on in your body? You know, yes. um, I just felt really cloudy. My brain was so cloudy. Hmm. So I have a list right here. I'll go through it. So your, your brain, it can be uh, cloudy. I know that sometimes like even for me at the front, it can feel cloudy if I'm not like, if I, I get triggered sometimes. Um, and triggers aren't bad, just to be clear. Right. Uh, if just to, as I go into this, just to denounce like any shame, like any guilt, triggers are there from your body to protect you. Something happened. And uh, so when you're processing your life, you, you're visually think you're visually experiencing things, you're audibly experiencing things, all of that goes in. And there's something inside of your brain that says fight or flight really quick before it goes to your frontal cortex, which is the, you know, rational thinking. So everything that you experience goes through that animal fight or flight brain first before mm -hmm. you're actually thinking critically. Mm -hmm. um, and that if you've had something in your life or you've had a bad experience or those unmet needs or pain, it's, it's there in your body and that part of your brain remembers it. So there's no shame. Yeah. Like that trigger is trying to protect you. So first off, it's okay. Like you're okay that you're getting triggered. <laughs> um, so the brain, maybe it's lethargic or maybe it's burning. You feel like you, like it's really intense. Um, maybe your, your heart physically is like beating really intensely or you're having like some pain in your chest and it feels really tight. I don't know if any, if any of your listeners could relate to that, your mm. stomach, maybe you get like stomach cramps and it's, or really nauseous and you feel like maybe you're going to throw up. Like, um, I think one of mine used to be, I would experience a lot of nausea if I was getting triggered. And, uh, that like, I've gone through a lot of healing. I've been in this journey for years and now that's something that's not on my radar. That's um, cool. with your skin, maybe it feels really itchy or painful, or you want to crawl out of it. Um, your face, your jaw can lock, or you're just like dead face, no emotions. Um, your, uh, your upper, your lips can get like sweaty or super dry. Um, your eyes are darting back and forth. You can't focus with stuff. Um, maybe you're biting your nails or pulling your hair. Maybe you like play with your hair like this or something like that. Um, hmm. let's see, or even from maybe like, maybe you find yourself like hugging yourself, you know, hmm. even things like that can be, yeah. So there's like, there's whole, this whole list of physical sensations that you might have. 
and you can look back through your day and like, okay, like, all right, I looked at porn or I masturbated, whatever you like, whatever the thing is that you're doing to avoid showing up and being present to you, like whatever it is, like you had some sort of sensation before you decided to shut it down with, you know, medicating in whatever form. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good answer. And I think, I think you're right. Like, um, there's always, there's always a trail. It's just that if we're not taught where to find it, then we don't mm-hmm. know it's there necessarily. And I think, um, you know, like uh, Be- Dr. Bessel uh, van der Kolk wrote the, that great book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, so good. And yeah, in some ways, you know, just without even reading the book, you can kind of get the gist of it. Like our bodies are sometimes the best indicators of what's really going yeah. on and how we're really feeling. So I think that's really, really helpful. So I, I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, how this ties into maybe an addiction context, or I don't know how much you're working with people who are addicted, but I imagine compulsive behavior is at least common in some of the people that you're working with. How do you, how do you connect the dots here? So somebody maybe comes in completely green. They're like, I can't feel my emotions. I, I don't know what my triggers are. I don't even know what's going on in my body when I am triggered. Um, but I can't stop you know, looking at social media, checking my email, watching porn, gambling, alcohol, whatever it might be. How do you take them on the journey and kind of connect those dots so that they can become a little bit more integrated in that area? Yeah, really great question. So, I mean, first part is like going through all the different stages of the triggers, the the physical, the emotional, and the mental. And so getting them to actually understand the slightest emotional response. So like, Mm. this is a great way. Say like, you're talking to someone who's totally green, like, hey, tell me a time you experienced any emotion in the last 24 hours, any emotion at all. (laughs) And they're like, well... I can't think of anything and that, but they did, they had something. I'm like, so did someone like step on your toe? Like, did your mouse at work not work? Like, (laughs) did you experience any emotion? And usually the most common word we'll hear is like, oh, I got kind of frustrated. And that, that word frustrated is like packed with information. Hmm. And because that frustrated on surface level, if you've spent your whole life numbing your emotions, shutting down your emotions, hiding your emotions, like disassociating, or maybe you're not even intact with your body, like whatever, if you went through trauma or something, the super small word of, oh, that's kind of annoying. It's kind of frustrating. Man, it is loaded. We're like, oh, actually, well, what what annoyed you about that? Like, can you tell me some more? Right. Like, well, what, what, what other emotions or feelings did you have in that situation? And like, well my coworker said something that kind of annoyed me and I'm like, Oh, well, what did they say? Well, they're kind of, kind of talking about this in this way. And they said something about my shirt. I'm like, Oh, do you normally respond that way when people maybe make a comment about that you don't like? <laughs> and you're just kind of opening up the door though, to those little small nuances. So that's what I do is like really focus on those small words because a lot of times, how many times a day do you hear someone say, Oh, that's frustrating or oh, that's annoying. Yeah. It's and- so true. And then they actually are using that in like a form of blame as well. They're blaming someone for being annoying and frustrating when it's like, actually, no, there's some stuff going on inside of you that's being annoyed and triggered. Like that is being frustrated because it's frustrating inside of you. They, yeah. they have no idea. That's really good. Yeah. And, and really helpful. Like you're so right. There's no healing process here without ownership, without owning your mm-hmm. stuff and realizing like you can't keep deflecting the responsibility. So, okay. So somebody becomes aware and let's say they get really good at it. So they're, they're suddenly able to identify their emotions. They, they know sort of their go-to physical response when they're triggered. They're starting to kind of get a grip on, on this. What's the next step then to kind of, um, I guess, make an effort to reduce that compulsive behavior, whatever it might be? Yeah. So self-awareness is definitely a muscle. Like you're going you're gonna to work it out. Mm. It's going to take practice. You know, you've gone, if someone's gone 20, 30, 40 years in their life, shutting themselves down you can't yeah. expect yourself to instantly make this radical life huge change where you're like suddenly self-aware so what happens if you've been shutting down your needs and you have all this unprocessed pain and now you're starting to realize you actually do get triggered like it's it's almost going to get worse before it gets better because now you're actually choosing to step up to the plate to your pain and so this mm-hmm. is where love comes in and so that's where that's what compassion heals like love yeah. heals you know, pity, self, like pity and self-pity. It's just like a bottomless pit. It never gets filled. It's always going to be empty. Um, sympathy is not some, it's not someone who wants to sit with you in your pain. 
and in your emotions it's like hey you can stay over there but i'm going to send some sympathy your way but yeah. like actually like sitting with someone in your with compassion sitting with yourself with compassion and love for yourself in that moment yeah that's really really good and obviously touches on um what you were talking about earlier like the compassion um i, I forget the term i apologize compassion approach or compassion therapy um and you talk about this a lot on your podcast which is uh, your podcast is excellent um and i think you really hit um you've hit home with your audience you know like you have a, a good format and the content's really excellent. And I'm wondering if you can just unpack that um, maybe a step further, because um, I'm curious what sort of the biblical or scriptural side of this is for you, Jeremy, or, or the spiritual side. Um, like, is there a biblical basis for self-compassion? And how do you kind of integrate it? Because I, I know for me in my healing journey, a huge part was sort of um, realizing that actually there was little Sathya who still had some of these expectations of his parents that were never going to get met because um, I'm an adult and because my parents aren't actually supposed to meet that, God can. God's the one who gives me that that sense of approval, that affirmation, um, the kind of love that really I'm, I'm worthy of. Only he can provide it. I'm just curious, like, does do, do those things integrate at all in that process of self-compassion? So when in your journey has God told you that he loves you? Oh, man, I, it's been countless i would say the last eight years like from when i really started to dive into it um yeah. where i've actually heard him speak it to me in moments where i am processing pain or feeling unlovable or i've come up short you know uh, perfectionism has been a huge thing i've dealt with so um regularly then and that's through journaling and through you know that's still small voice and all that but yeah the last yeah. eight years quite a bit so I'll, i'm just going to turn it on you for just a second I'll please ask you some yeah yeah i'll be the guinea pig right. let's go yeah so He's always been there and he's always been the one who said, you know, he's loved you, right? Yes. So how often have you believed that? Wow. I mean, I think um, I can say for sure growing up, I didn't. Um, yeah. I, I knew it cerebrally, but I definitely would not have been able to translate it into how I was handling myself and handling life. Um, but I think there are, there are times now where like I'll do something like I'll, I'll interview on someone else's podcast uh -huh. and I'll just sit afterwards and, and let God love me, so to speak. Like just hear his yeah. voice of encouragement and really learn to like just experience love in, in those high moments and also in the low moments. And I've had my share of them the last few years. I've had a lot of uh, challenges, uh, very eventful mm -hmm. engagement and stuff. And I think um, learning to just tune into God and let him love me in those moments has been yeah. helpful. It's helped me at least get more in touch with it. Yeah. So it's never been a question of whether he loves you. It's whether it's been the question of whether you love yourself and believe that he loves you. Mm. Right. V very good way of framing it. Yes. 100%. So we go through our, we go through day in and day out. We're trying, I know for myself, and I'm saying this from my experience, I don't know about everyone else, but I was like playing the game of trying to be loved, trying to be enough. But the entire time the answer is yes. Like mm. you're loved no matter what, no matter what you do, who you are, like you're loved. Um, but it always comes back to us where it's like, do we actually really believe it? Like, do we actually truly believe it? So I, I stopped trying to convince myself of God's love and also trying to actually started focusing on like, he's already said, this is true about me. Um, and I seem to be the problem. And it seems like I'm having a really hard time loving myself. Mm, okay. And that was a point of friction for me because I was like, okay, like, I actually really need to believe this because he's made it abundantly clear. And I think how that manifests is all throughout your life. He brings people into your life who are giving you gifts of love in whatever form, whether it's affection or the time of feeling hurt or truly accepted. When maybe you open up to one of your friends, you're in an all time low point of your life and you feel like things are falling apart and they sit there and they listen to you and they say, I love you. I accept you no matter what is going on. And it's yeah. like, that's a gift from God. He's giving like the gift of acceptance. And um, I think in that moment, it's like, what I work with my clients is like, yes, you can play the God card. And I think what happens with a lot of men too is like, oh, I'm just praying for God to take away these struggles. And I'm really going to intercede and I'm going to fast and I'm going to push in when it's like, well, actually that probably means that you have some emotions that are going on that you're ignoring because you're choosing mm -hmm. to pray and fast and focus in and all of this. And yes, God can come in with insight and, revelation and healing and restoration and all of that. But what if we actually stopped praying for a second, slowed down and actually just chose to set, sit with the emotions that are really going on? Because I've actually time and time again with my clients, 
the times where they're like crying out to God for that, that touch and that healing. And, you know, it's, some people might not agree with this, but this is my history with my clients. And it's like, what, like, what were you crying out for? Like, what was, what were some of the feelings and the emotions that you had going on? And they got real about their feelings. They slowed down and then they were able to actually like bring God into that when they slowed down and Mm -hmm. sat with the feelings and emotions, because maybe you have clients yourself who are like praying for God to take these like addictions away. And, Oh, I just need, like, if I just pray enough on Tuesday and he'll show up and it's like, well, actually no, like you're praying so hard right now when really your whole world is in a, your inner world is in a tumultuous state. And it's just like, let's just be present to that tumultuous state because there's some, there's some real gold there to be discovered about loving yourself and discovering your discovering who you are because God's yes is already yes there's no doubt about that it's time for you to start believing that he has given you that yes and that looks by choosing to that looks like choosing to say yes to his love and the love for you that's beautifully said yeah and I I totally agree and I think it I know for me one of my staple scriptures over the years has been um, the greatest commandment and the second greatest like love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength Mm -hmm. And you are to love others as you love yourself. And there's kind of that priorities or that prioritization that we get mixed up, right? Um, yeah. We put God first, others, and then ourselves, not knowing that actually we, we are supposed to be second. And the only way you experience that is, as you're saying, like you have to learn how to love yourself. And a huge part of that is being present. This term that you've used a couple of times yeah. in the podcast. Um, and I guess inevitably, like... Being present is the solution to somebody who is dissociating, which I think is a pretty common response to pain. So for Jeremy Holcomb, what does it look like for you to be present and to be integrated? And I'm wondering if you can, I'm asking for a personal example, but I'm also asking if you can broaden it to somebody who's maybe trying to evaluate, like, am I, am I present? Am I dissociating? Maybe mm-hmm. they can't tell. What, what does it look like on the other side when somebody is actually present with themselves? Yeah, really great question. And so one thing to keep in mind with like some context going into this, the goal is to, to stretch yourself, but not stress yourself. One of my, uh, someone that I've recently mm. gotten to know is in that line. Um, and I've really enjoyed getting to hear that. And it's like, wow, healing their idea. And I really love it. This is not me, but it's healing and love happens through small little incremental doses, those little yes. small parts. And so it's like, That's so true. There's no pressure. So shame says there's something wrong with me. Shame says guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. And there's also an element of like what I do is who I am. So if I can be a good Christian boy or, you know, like follow all the commandments and do my best and be a nice person or, you know, cross all my T's and do all the things like I, or I'm really great at work. So if people are tying their identity into like, say, for example, with like porn and they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm looking at porn. I'm a bad person. Like, mm. oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm struggling. You're, you're actually tying your identity into what you're doing. You're, what you do matters. That's what Laura Duncan says. What you do matters, but who you are matters more. Yeah. And, um, and that too, though, I did there without sh- like stepping away from shame identity says that you're enough that you're loved and that you're accepted so i just wanted to have like some context is like shame there's no room for shame in this and so with triggers there's no shame it's like with disassociation there's no shame with learning that when you reflect on your life and i'm practically like wow i didn't grow up with needs getting met i shut down i didn't have people that were there for me on a consistent basis who showed me unconditional love um there's no shame around that but what we do is we, we internalize the dysfunction around us as kids and we make it our identity. And I mean, that's such a heavy statement to even say that, but um, if we can step away from internalizing it, I know that's such a loaded thing to say, but when we can realize that we are not our parents' dysfunction, when we're not the guardians that were around us, we are not their dysfunction. Yeah. And letting all of that go, it's just like being with ourselves in small portions and pieces. So if you find yourself... I'm just trying to stick to the answer as much as I can. You're doing the question. Great. Yeah. Um, if you find yourself on your phone, on social media, if you find yourself like constantly future oriented, past oriented, if you look back on your day and you can't remember 
what your day was like or anything like that or details about your day like they're like i would say that the odds of you being present are pretty low you know mm. just like as little gaugers um for me i turn off all notifications on my phone the only notifications i get are boxer notifications and that's for my clients i don't get text notifications phone call emails none of that stuff wow um I, I like i try not to even have my phone on me for the most part i'm just engaged um one thing you can start doing a little helpful tip for your your clients and listeners is like start paying attention to what gives you joy because when enjoy mm. when you find things that give you delight when you find things that give you joy and those places who you truly are is in that hmm. so one of the things i wrote down i was like what do i want to talk about uh, with this audience. And I was like, what are the things that are in my mind? And one of the, the thing I wrote down is my number one thing today. And I, I actually was like, not even sure if I was going to bring it up, but it's like the things that were true about you as kid, as a kid, as a child, like those amazing qualities. Like if you look at a picture of yourself, like what are the feelings that come up? Like the good feelings, because you might have some negative ones. Sure. What are the good feelings that come up? Like, oh, he's actually super adventurous. Oh, little Jeremy was actually super funny. and was always playing jokes. But now I'm like deadpan, like straight face, no emotions. I'm like shut down. I don't joke around at all. Like there's a disconnect because who you truly are is that you were that jokester. Like you are that playful person. And so for me, yes. I can look at my day and like, how playful was I? Because I know that's who I truly am. Like I love playing with people, having fun with people. Um, I work at Trader Joe's while I'm running my business and so um I like have so much fun messing with people every day <laughs> and little, little ways. And it like, it brings me genuine joy. Like one time, like I had a lady, either I have a coworker who has like this stash of little weird potatoes that come in that have weird gross on them. And they're just like funny. Anyways, okay. I like kidnapped them. I left a Ramson note that said, if you ever want to see your spuds ever again, leave ice cream <laughs> at this place at this time and she like wasn't taking it seriously or anything so i went and bought mashed potatoes and mashed them all up like <laughs> not her potatoes but mashed potatoes and yeah like yeah. left a note there that said oh you should have listened like and that's just who i truly am and like yeah. just joking and having fun and showing up so i love that i love that really well said okay i got one final question for you and i'm hoping we can kind of tie everything together because um when I envisioned the impact of what we're doing here with the podcast and with my mm -hmm. program and everything, um, I've been really challenged by God to think about the multi-generational impact, which for me has not been hard to think about personally. Like I've mm -hmm. always been very aware that like, I know that how I live my life is going to impact my kids and my grandkids and great grandkids and so on. But I've, I, it's taken me a, a while. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I, I forgot that that actually translates to all the guys I serve as well. And I'm really thinking about like, oh, wow, if I can impact the guys who are alive on planet Earth right now, um, they can change the course of their family's histories forever. Like we can impact so many generations here. And I hadn't even thought of it mm -hmm. that way. Um, and you touched on this at the beginning, like you talked about how your grandparents, their their experiences are actually a huge part of um, your experiences. And it's kind of framed and shaped uh, the person that maybe you were as well as the person you are today but you've healed, you know, and you're growing and that's going to inevitably impact how you parent Magnolia Joe. And if you guys have any more kids, and certainly, you know, her kids, if she has them uh, down the road. And I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the things that you're learning along the way that are um, helping you separate from, from some of the wounding and some of the deficiencies that just came from growing up and becoming that more holistic and integrated parent who's able to offer their kid safety and security and validation and um, you know emotional comfort and all the stuff that's necessary to to change that trajectory for their lineage because i think um i think a lot of the listeners whether they realize it or not it's a huge driving force of their growth and their development and um, i'm just wondering if you can help them out in that area as well and maybe connect some of the dots here today yeah i feel like you could write a book on that question <laughs> yeah seriously it's loaded um all right so my grandparents pick any set did not do emotions no you weren't allowed to have emotions my whole life emotions were not a thing i think my grandma cried for the first time when i was like 30 or something like wow. that no emotions um <laughs> and it was when my brother came back from afghanistan or something i don't like i don't remember the timeline how old i was but it was like later in life um yeah. and i and growing up i 
was in a place where I wasn't allowed to have emotions. My parents weren't allowed to have emotions. I like, I remember distinctly even getting punished when I would start to reveal parts of who I was with those emotions. So recently I was in a, the car with Magnolia and Healy. I'll make this, how much time do we have? No, you're good, man. You're good. Take all the okay. time you need. I, I have so an we, ant crawling on my screen and around my webcam. So if I'm fidgeting, I'm trying to get this ant away from no, me. Oh, you're Sorry. good. You're fine. <laughs> um, so I was in the car with Haley Magnolia. And uh, we we're talking about like uh, just a super simple thing, like not wasting food. And Haley is like, well, we just had to, we totally somehow missed a whole pound of organic grass-fed beef that had gone past the date in the fridge. And so we're like, we're having to throw this pound of meat away. And uh, Haley brings this up and immediately my response was like, babe, stop. Like, I like can feel her emotion rising up, especially as a guy that can be so intimidating. You know, her yeah. emotions are coming up and I like emotions are just so unfamiliar for me. I have shame around them. I immediately just cut it off. And, uh, and then it just hit me so hard. And I'm like, I'm suppressing my wife's emotions and feelings just on a thing of hamburger, one pound of hamburger meat, organic grass-fed hamburger meat. And it's like, who cares? Like she can have her, like her emotions are her emotions. I'm not responsible for them. Like she can have whatever feeling she wants about this topic who like it's, it's her body, it's herself. And I can't control that. And so it hit me so hard that I'm like, I, if I'm suppre suppressing her emotions, because just then also my daughter was like, getting frustrated i'm like noli stop and i'm like double whammy and i'm like right. oh man like if i'm suppressing my daughter's emotions and i'm suppressing my wife's emotions i'm definitely suppressing my own emotions mm. and so the reason i'm bringing that up is because like the the complex answer to that question is like compassion and love so yes that's a trigger for me emotions are triggers I can, what I can do is I can slow down and we'll figure out the tender emotion actually it just makes me feel super scared uh, when my wife is going through these things. And what I really need is figuring out the need. So I've, re I've registered the tender emotion. I've recognized the need and I can have compassion on little Jeremy and I have compassion on myself. So compassion comes in. And what happens is that when I get healing and I realize what I needed in that moment, I have something to give my daughter. And so what's been helpful is like when, as I've stepped into emotional health and I'm getting so much better with emotions, my daughter's having, she's a three-year-old. She had a temper tantrum the other day because the maple syrup wasn't touching all the sides of her little plate. Like, <laughs> Hey, we've all been life. there, man. That is right? frustrating. It's, it's As tough. a Canadian, man, that's like, yeah, that's the worst. Right. <laughs> but in that moment, so she, you know, she loses her, uh, uh, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast, but she loses her, you know, all of, all of her feelings and total meltdown. And actually in that moment, I was like, I, and she was having a really hard day that day. I don't know if she didn't sleep well, whatever is going on. This is going on and on and on. And I had finally been in a place where I was able to give myself the gifts I didn't get as a kid of feeling truly accepted, no matter what is going on. And I was like, oh, I can gladly give this to my daughter. So she's having a hard time. I'm able to give her the gift of acceptance, feeling heard and protected and safe as her. She is just in a complete meltdown state. I'm there. I'm present, but actually the beautiful part was I actually imagined little Jeremy, this is going to sound maybe kind of funny for some of your listeners, but I actually imagined little Jeremy getting to throw a temper tantrum and what had, and him getting to receive unconditional acceptance and love mm. and feeling seen and heard when maybe I didn't get to experience that because growing up in the South, it's like, don't be a burden. Don't stick out. Like don't show weakness. Don't show emotions. It's all these yeah. things like, especially in public. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, I'm there for Magnolia. And I actually just imagine little Jeremy, little five-year-old, six-year-old Jeremy, just having a complete meltdown. And I'm like, little Jeremy, I'm going to be with you no matter what. And you can take as long as you need to, because I love you. And I actually just gave myself yeah. to kind of permission to imagine little me having just a complete tan uh, temper tantrum and meltdown and getting to experience true, like, you know what, I'm going to accept you and love you no matter what. And so if that's gone from zero emotions to physical abuse with like grand, I didn't get it just because I didn't get physical abuse, but my grandparents being physically abused because of emotions and feelings and all of that down to my daughter can have complete meltdowns, even in public. And it's not going to phase me. 
I'm going to be a rock. I'm going to be there to support her and love her and give her this gift. And that she can know when she's, as she's growing and going through all of her developmental stages that my dad is modeling to me that I'm loved no matter what I go through. My dad is modeling to me that even if I'm having the worst day, my brain is melting down. I'm my nervous system's overregulated, whatever's going on. Like I am so loved and accepted. Like that's what my wife and I model to our daughter. Yeah. Now that's a whole nother conversation of, you know, modeling behavior, connection, stuff like this. But we're talking about when life gets messy, not letting someone else's emotions or life affect us, but actually slowing down and being present and engaged and connected to ourselves and not blaming people for what might be going on, but knowing that I can be okay and actually deep down inside they're okay. Even if they are being triggered, we're both okay. And I can be with that person in that because ultimately that's what Jesus did. He was like, he said, I'm going to be with you in your pain and you may not like it, but I'm going to be there with you. Mm, You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. And I think that's actually a great example because um, loving yourself is sort of like, uh, again, a very difficult term to kind of qualify or quantify for that mm-hmm. matter. And yeah. that's that's so good of what that actually looks like real time. Um, and how, how easy it is to just be like, oh, yeah, she's having a tantrum and just keeping it there instead of being like, no, but what's my response? What can I be doing to love myself in this moment so I can love herself better? Dude, amazing. Really, really solid. Um, Thanks, man. You have an incredible podcast that uh, guys who are listening or if you're watching this on YouTube, you need to check out his podcast. It's called Creating Emotional Intelligence. The episodes are short. Jeremy, you're an open book and um, you just keep it very simple. And so I think uh, if you found any value in this interview, you need to go and listen to his podcast, subscribe to it and check it out. But I know you have a Facebook group as well. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know some people here are definitely going to want to connect with you. Uh, What's the best way to do that, Jeremy? Yeah. If you're on Facebook, you can just go to CEI space podcast. And it's just a podcast group for people who want to grow and self-compassion and that inner healing journey and just getting to know your story. And so if you end up, you have to fill out a little information box and just be like, Hey, yeah, I heard you on uh, uh, the podcast. And then, yeah, we'll go from there and just, you'll get, you'll get let in and just hang out with us and all of us. That sounds amazing. Amazing. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you brought a lot of value, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, Wish you all the best in your endeavors and especially with the podcast, man. Keep crushing it. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Well, that was my interview with Jeremy Holcomb. Guys, I hope you were impacted by that. I know for me, I was actually taking some notes and obviously I got a little bit of free coaching in the middle there. So that was really cool. Um, But there's so much to learn there. And, you know, I I actually had a a revelation in that interview. I, I actually spoke it out loud and afterwards thought, oh, you know, I need to give more thought to this, which is that. Um, if, if as a guy, for whatever reason, you're struggling emotionally, you know, to just kind of get in touch and, and to kind of figure out like, oh, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't understand how my beliefs are contributing. Like you're hearing all these messages from me or other people talking about how you need to get in touch with your internal life to sort of understand what's going on so you can resolve the roots. And you're saying like, yeah, I get it. I know I need it, but I don't know how to do it. I'm not in touch. Um, paying attention to your physical triggers might be a better starting point. Um, That might actually be the place where you're going to at least start to identify when you go into, um, you know, places of distress, dissociation, and and whatever else it might be. And um, that that might be a better starting point, uh, which will then I think eventually lead you down a trail where you can kind of articulate the emotional internal part of it. So, um, that was really useful for me. Um, and I hope it was useful for you as well. And, uh, I would encourage you to go check out Jeremy's podcast. Uh, just so you know, his podcast really targets people who are busy, uh, which is everyone. Um, but kind of people who are on the go, who maybe only have 10 minutes to kill here or there. Um, that's, that's kind of the design of his podcast. So they're very, um, quick, they're very succinct. And, um, he just does a really, really good job keeping things simple, keeping it honest and keeping it real. And um, I encourage you to check it out. That's Creating Emotional Intelligence. That's the name of his podcast. Um, and obviously, he's got a group there that you can join as well. And, um, you know, if you did listen to this and you're thinking like, okay, actually, um, it's not just that I'm triggered. It, it's that I have a problem with sexual misbehavior. It's wreaking havoc in my life. And I need to get it, I need to get it out before it destroys my relationships, my career, and my future. 
Um, I want to let you know that there is hope for you and there is help for you. And that's one of the things we do here at Deep Clean. Uh, I actually set aside time in my calendar every week to sit down with people like you um, who are struggling and who need the help. So if you're interested in that, I'm going to put a link in my show notes. You can actually go and book a time in my calendar. It's not anybody else's calendar. It's my calendar. And uh, we can sit down. We can chat. And uh, we can see what the right course of action might be for you to get the freedom you deserve. So uh, link is in the show notes. Guys, thanks for listening. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sophia again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating or review on your podcast platform. Now, I want to take this final moment to invite you to something that I'm really excited about our deep clean VIP community. Here's the deal. We saw that in this space of manhood, sexuality, and faith, there are a lot of unasked questions. They range from relationships to sex to male anatomy, calling, career, and everything in between. We create a deep clean VIP for men like you who want regular coaching from me, VIP access to our podcast guests, where you get to interact with some of the world's leading experts in men's health, a monthly seminar, and a community of men from around the world pursuing success in life and integrity in sexuality. Deep Clean VIP provides answers to your deepest questions, hope for a full recovery, and the necessary tools to make that full recovery a reality. If you're ready to take things to the next level, I want you to stop what you're doing right now and sign up for Deep Clean VIP at www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. The link is in the show notes, but let me give it one more time. That's www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. 